have none of the other contenders complaining. I don't hear Ebony complaining. He's saying tech ball. I don't hear LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard complaining. I don't hear Jason Tatum and Giannis complaining. The, the Raptors been down there for two weeks in Florida. And all they talking about is how they gonna try to defend their championship. I don't see them complaining. By the way, they got a tournament that's going on right now, a TBT tournament in Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm pretty sure those guys are not gonna be in a billion dollar bubble or they not in a great situation. They not complaining, they down there hooping. So I don't wanna hear all that. To me, this is just an excuse get knocked out this is going to be excused because their superstar was halfway in that was kendrick perkins and he was completely asinine with his comments by the way jason tatum was complaining he was one of the guys who said i don't feel safe going so with that because he mentioned tatum by name it sounds like perkins was targeting Embiid for whatever reason and saying like this is an excuse uh hello you think that Embiid is the only guy who, by the way, got onto the plane today wearing like a hazmat suit? You think Embiid's the only guy who has reservations about living in this bubble and the safety down there? Absolutely not. And just because maybe other players aren't as outspoken about it, that doesn't mean that they don't have concerns. We know LeBron is a big family man. You don't think that there's something in his brain that thinks, huh, I hope my family's going to be okay throughout this time. Like, of course, right? I mean, that's just silly to think that just because these guys maybe didn't state it like Joel Embiid did, that means that they're totally okay How about 100%. This? Here's a guy, I don't know if you would say that he's a bigger star than Embiid, but I think he's right up there with all the other guys. Dame Lillard, he didn't sound like he was too thrilled about going down there and playing. In other words, he was like, look, if it's not worth it, I'm not going. Which is interesting because he was the one that wanted an opportunity to compete for the playoffs. So it well, is he was saying, if we don't have a chance to make the playoffs or whatever, I'm not going down there just to play rando games. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, let's bring uh, Daryl Reynolds in. D-Ray on the NBA. Daryl Reynolds, excuse me, a member of the 2016 national champion Villanova Wildcats. He joins us each Thursday to talk some NBA. And uh, I don't know, uh, D-Ray, do you think it's fair to call out Joel Embiid because he expressed some concern about playing in Orlando? Not at all. Me and Bros talked about this this morning on process. Like, it's, it's that's not fair at all, but it's Kendrick Perkins. And I'm convinced that Kendrick Perkins at this point is just okay with being the antagonist. Like y'all were just saying, many of players have said, like, listen, I don't necessarily feel comfortable with it. That doesn't mean I'm not going, but I got to be honest, it doesn't feel like the state is saying. But for him to target Joel Embiid is kind of, I ain't going to say it's low-hanging fruit because, you know, Joel runs his mouth too. But it's like, come on, man. Like, are you, are you serious? Right. And uh, with that, does, I mean, I don't know. He didn't seem very enthusiastic about the um, you know, bubble at all. Does that concern you in talking about what kind of mental state he will be in once the games start? Or like I mean, I look at it as once the games begin, the normalcy kind of re kind of kicks in. But up until that point, are you concerned that Joel maybe isn't a hundred percent there? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Having that in the back of your mind of just kind of worrying about it. You know, let's say we talked about it this morning as well, like you would hope that after he kind of gets in the groove, that once he gets comfortable and he sees things are being handled the right way, and it's like, all right, I can really focus on basketball. But, you know, you got 100% focus. And if even 2% of that is scared of corona or something like that, that takes away from the game. So hopefully after a couple of days or before they even really start, he gets to a point where he's really truly comfortable and he's just in the rhythm with his game as all he's worrying about. But it definitely does take away from your focus. Something that, And it's a health issue. You know what I mean? It is. Should. It's something big. 
I do like the fact that Joel Embiid does talk about Ben Simmons in terms of, you know, taking that next step in his game. And he did say that they need Ben Simmons. And he also stated that he will create space for Ben. And what I initially think when I hear that is, uh oh, here goes Joel Embiid by the perimeter. And that's going to make people upset. But do you think that maybe there's another way outside of just hanging out by the perimeter that maybe that can create space for Ben Simmons, who we all know won't take a jump shot? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one of the, the issues of him not being in shape, I think he'd be a great screen setter, a great pick, uh, pick and pop big man. You know what I mean? Like he would be somebody who kind of what Al Horford did for Boston, what we tried to get Al Horford to do earlier this season. Like he would be a great guy. I mean, do you imagine a guard? You got to go up against those screens constantly and you don't know if he's going to roll if, you know, Ben kind of flails out or if he goes to the basket, you don't know if he's going to pop and always have that three behind him. Like that's scary. But that's something that comes in question with his shape and can he do it constantly on the floor and things like that. And that's a rabbit hole that I really don't like going down. But I absolutely think they can find a way to make sure that Ben Simmons don't beat on the floor at the same time, despite the fact that Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot. Now, you mentioned Horford. Do you think that the Sixers use him the right way? I mean, I look at Horford when he played with Boston and what he did against the Sixers, and he would kill him with that pick and pop, top of the key. Mm-hmm. I feel like they never run that for him. Yeah, yeah, that is weird. I, I was expecting a, a couple more inside uh, screens, you know, one where he said that Ben Simmons is kind of getting downhill to his left, and he, like you said, pick and pops back to that that middle of the lane type of area. I guess you would say that between the two uh, lane lines extended out to the three-point, like that seems to be where he's the most comfortable with that three. That seems to be the easiest for him to knock down, but that's on Brett. You know what I mean? That's on Brett. I cannot sit yeah. here and – give him a pass on everything. I love Brett Brown. Great. I love the way he coaches, but things like that have to, that's a coach's job to figure out. Right, because it seems like the Sixers almost envisioned him as some sort of stretch four where he's shooting corner threes and wing threes as opposed to how Boston used him in more of a straight on three elbow jumpers and baseline stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they don't need to reinvent the wheel. A, a player as old as Al Horford is, and not be old, but you know what I'm saying? Like as far as the game goes, as far as the league goes, he's been it long enough. You kind of know what you're going to get out of him as far as the skill set goes. So those corner and, and wing ones, yeah, that helps if he makes them. But like you said, it's the top of the key. That's where he seems the most comfortable at. And that's on Brett to make sure that he gets those off. But I'm not a coach. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm somebody talking hoops with y'all right now. I'm not a coach. If I was, that'd be one of the first things I changed up. All right. How about this? Joel Embiid says that he needs to be more assertive. And at times, he was just going through the motions on offense. I feel like I've heard this five or six times already. Like, at what point is it, just do it. Just do it. I feel like I've heard him say, I just went through the motions on offense too many times at this point. Just go out and do it. Do you feel the same way or differently? No, absolutely. I mean, first of all, he's killing himself with the damn comments. Like, he need, they need to talk to PR or somebody to kind of get him to ring a couple of these comments back in. Because the last thing you want to hear, you know, from a guy who you're criticizing about not being in a certain amount of shape or not giving a certain amount of effort is for them to then admit 
oh, I was going through the motions. Instead of point with the Sixers as a whole, from Brett Brown to Ben Simmons, Joe B to the front office, it's at a point where it's put up or shut up. You know what I mean? It's not nobody's interested in the, the propaganda or the right thing to be said because there is nothing else to be said. At this point, it's really about what they go down there and do. And I'm excited in, in one way because I'm, I feel like they're talking this much to kind of not only rile themselves up but also – make sure they're held to a certain standard. But it also worries me when he says things like, I was going through the motion. It's like, bro, so you knew this was a problem. But we're here now. You know what I mean? I, I, if he's been working out six times a week like he says he's been, and you know he's really going as hard as he says he's been going, he has a clear mind when he gets down there. i got to tell a lot of us about to be proved wrong, um, which being on that side, I wouldn't be mad at it at all. But I, I, it's time I see it. You know what I mean? I'm excited for this team, no doubt, but I will say there's a little bit inside of me that is concerned with, and it's okay for them to feel this way, but I am a little concerned with their mentality going in because as we heard, Embiid said that he didn't really feel right about it. Shake Milton said that there are some other issues going on in this world that is more important, which I totally do agree with. Mike Scott, same type of vibe. So, you know, I they're okay to feel that way. I'm not knocking them for feeling like there's more than just basketball because I totally understand. But once they are down there, they are going to have to compete, and I wonder maybe it's not just one guy. It's it's a good amount of this team. Are they going to be in the right mindset as a team? Man, I hope so. I hope so. It's really a situation where it's like you feel how you feel before you go once you touch down on that plane and once you get off of it and walk into that arena and start things, like, it's really, it's, it's, that's the, the decision has to be made at that point. And once they get down there, I really hope they understand that the only way they're going to make any type of pushes is all of them are on the same page. To go back to Brett Brown, that's something I have faith in him on making sure it happens as far as like making sure these group of guys are on the same page. But I really hope it's not a thing where we're hearing stories the day before, you know, they have their first game or the day before the playoffs start. It's just like once they go down there, you decide to go down there, you knew what you were getting into. At that point, you just let it, you let it be what it is and play the game. But I'm not going to lie, I'm worried too between, you know, the, the difference in views and stuff like that. But that's what the team is. You know what I mean? Everybody kind of has to put a, put aside certain views, I guess the best way to put it, to make sure that the team is good. And if they're going, then I have to have faith that they're going to figure it out. Uh, Daryl Reynolds with us talking a little NBA. Sixers are on the flight. Uh, I don't know if you saw the video of Joel Embiid, but he's got like a hazmat suit on. He's got gloves, mask. I mean, he is. I don't know if he's just playing the role or what, but he's obviously uh, taking extra precautions down there uh, as they're getting ready to go down. They'll play three scrimmage games and then the eight regular season games. Let me ask you, how important do you think the eight games are to this particular team? Oh, my God. I think it's a world of difference. I think it's a world of difference because, obviously, they're set for the playoffs. But the way the season ended, it was kind of rocky. I feel like these eight games are going to allow them to, to get their foot in the right, allow them to kind of figure out who's doing what moving forward. Because let's be honest, everybody's been separated for months at this point. And although it seems like it will be simple, they would just hop back on the court and get back into a rhythm. That's never how it happens. You know what I mean? So I think these eight games are, these eight games are pretty much going to set the tone for what they're going to be because I can't imagine – with everything else going on, these playoffs start and somebody really turns the page. I feel like these eight games are really going to give us a kind of insight of how they're going to look throughout the rest of the uh, playoffs. Furkan Korkmaz also spoke to the media, and he said that Brett told him he's going to have an important role on this team. How do you think he's going to be able to, to fit in in terms of defense? I just questioned the defense. 
the defense is definitely a concern with him. And I don't I couldn't imagine that, you know, being something that turned a huge page over these last couple of months, maybe by watching film and being able to really digest. Like I don't think that a lot of people out there understand the importance of film. That's why that Jimmy Butler thing was so crazy when he said that they you know, how they deal with film as a team of the Sixers. Like it is so important, especially for younger players to watch film and kind of see where they messed up. So I'm hoping he kind of did that, and, and, and through that he can step out there at a different level, but he ain't going to go out there and be Bruce Bowen. You know what I mean? Let's call it what it is. It's just he's not going to make he's not, he's not gonna make that big of a jump, but if he gets a little bit better and he's still able to shoot at a great clip, him stretching the floor is going to be great, so maybe the offensive trade-off is worth it on what you're losing from him on defense. We will end with this. I have on white socks and white LeBrons. <laughs> Gil is anti. I saw him looking at them when I walked in. You just got to set it straight here. Let him know that white on white is totally acceptable. <laughs> white on white with the socks is totally acceptable. Well, with I, those I sneaks, he had the high top sneaks. The last time he wore them with the cross trainers. That's... I wore them with Nike Roche. Yeah, that's, that's no good. Now, let me ask you, D-Ray. <laughs> Do you buy the T-shirt from the guy on the street, the the knockoff? Yeah, I buy I buy not knockoff T-shirts, D-Ray. When I go to games, Phillies games, there's a guy on the side. Hey, ten bucks? Yeah, I'll give you ten bucks. I'll buy a Phillies tee. Is is that ridiculous? Yeah, we got a split difference on this one. What? I'm with Gil on this. I'm Come on! I'm not buying no no Whitney Houston uh, T-shirt to say Whit Hutton. So well, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go down that road. Now, come on! <laughs> that's why, but that's why I don't trust the knockoffs. You you, you get in the game and you yeah. open it up and it's like Ben. This is Ben Roethlisberger. This ain't Ben. Yeah, I mean the guy's jersey yesterday. Instead of saying Phillies, it just said Philly on it. I mean, it said hey, Bash. Yeah. Brothers, that name has never been used for for Hoskins and Harper. I, I looked at that T-shirt. I said, "Where'd you get that thing?" Oh, the guy on the street. I was like, "Well, that's your problem. You don't get the T-shirt from the guy on the street." Unbelievable. I'll have to teach you guys style. Uh, by the way, the Sixers on the plane. They are heading down to Orlando and getting ready for the Orlando bubble. We'll have more with D-Ray, Daryl Reynolds, of course, a member of the 2016 national champion Villanova Wildcats. We'll be talking hoops with him each Thursday as the NBA is close to returning. Thanks, pal. All right, fellas. I'll talk to you. He, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk on the hotline. He's also the host of the Process Podcast. Talking Sixers with Hunter Brody. If you're going to watch golf, watch it the right way. Bet on it. Sign up today for Sugarhouse Online Sportsbook. Go to playsugarhouse.com and start betting on golf, UFC, boxing, Korean baseball, and much more. You must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLE. I didn't think D-Ray was a, a knockoff. Now, that's not a knockoff shirt, but that's one of those... Uh, it was on the seat at the Flyer game. Yeah, this is definitely one of them. It has the Xfinity uh, yeah. logo on the back. That's the one that the guy wears with the jeans and the button-up shirt tucked in, and he pulls it over top. Right, absolutely. With the fold-up, uh, the cuffs on the shirt, the yep. fold-up cuffs. Pair of glasses, grayish hair. Maybe bald. Eh, not usually bald. He usually has like that hair that's he thinks looks better as a gray-haired older guy than it did when he was younger. Okay, that's fair. I'm picturing right now, always goes back to this, Larry David when he tripped Shaq. Yeah. yeah, I'm picturing that right now. <laughs> He's Just got leaned out. You know the the sneak that um, Larry David wears, the actual sneaker. Yeah, the brand of sneaker that I, he goes with. I don't. Oh, come on, it's iconic for him. Yeah, I don't. He goes with the simple. Oh, the simple. Yeah, I used to rock simple. You went back, with the simple. Wow, well, back in high school, I don't think they make the 
If they had the the simple that I had in high school, I would buy it. I have not been able to find it anywhere. We're going back like mid nineties, late nineties. They had a great simple that they it was a kind of like a mid top. Well, I do know now shoes are starting to kind of go back and remake the older styles. Yeah, Maybe you, you'll get if lucky. You find me that simple uh, from like the ninety, you know, ish. I'll do my research. Yeah, simple was like a like a three quarter boot almost, but not like boot. It was like very flimsy material. So cool. Yeah, he rocks the simples. What a man. Adam Kaplan, 4 o'clock, football at 4. Off-season. By no means are we a finished product. What off-season? It's football at 4. Every day at 4 p. 9 403-0973. 3:21 Sports Pass, thanks to D-Ray. Daryl Reynolds, we great to hear him uh, day after Sixer games. Now, Sixer schedule which uh, has two Wednesday games, so the day after is when, uh, and then they'll be playing. So they play, I mean, they got an eight-game schedule. That's it. They play Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday playoffs. Now, those exhibition games that they're going to play, do you think that, that that will be televised or probably not? Mm, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if they threw a couple of those on. I, I mean, would people love are it. probably looking for stuff now. Um, I know that the, uh, the NBA the game times are going to be very staggered, kind of like early afternoon game, kind of like a mid-evening game, and then a late-night game. You're going to have like three games like that almost every day where it's like 2 o'clock or 4 o'clock, like 7 o'clock or, or something to that. Remember Keith Smith yeah, was telling us. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It, now, it's funny you bring that up because we kind of joked around about the whole Union game. They played at 9 a.m. this morning in Orlando, and – these are professional athletes that had to play a pro MLS game at 9 a.m. Like, it's something that we don't think about because... Well, how about the hockey schedule that's going to be playing games at noon? But they do have noon games on Saturday afternoons, NBC. 9 a.m., That they were talking about it. They all had team breakfast at 6.30. I mean, it's as if they're like... When I played hockey back in the day when I'm five years old, six years old, you would wake up at the crack of dawn to go play hockey. You don't do that when you're a professional athlete, so it's such an adjustment for these guys. Oh, no doubt. I think the – and I talked about this yesterday. Now, I, I, I rethought about this, though. Although, like, these games that are going to be coming back, for, they're all playoff games. Right. For the NHL. Yep. Playing a Tuesday noon game for the playoffs, just I, – I don't – like, it's hard to get yourself like juice. This is what Keith Smith said about the schedule for the NBA. We know there's 88 games that are going to be played, and they're going to be played over the course of 16 days. So even a you know, math non-genius like myself knows that that's, you know, about five and a half, six games a day. So what they're going to do is they're going to use the three arenas at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. They're all going to host uh, multiple games, somewhere between two and three games a day. So there's going to be two and three games at the three different arenas going on at all the time, which means you could be like, I already saw this, you know, not that I'm like uh, exclusive here, the Sixers schedules on our website, but when I saw the schedule, they got a game at four, they got a 4.30 game, like a Wednesday four o'clock game. I mean, that's just not normal for what these guys are used to. None of this is normal. So you're going to have to just roll with the punches. Yeah, it's it's extremely weird and when we talk about these games that are normally on the West Coast, like, for example, these TNT games when everything's normal. You got a game at 7 or 8 o'clock, and then that 10.30 game starts. But in L.A., it's 7.30. Now, if we're having that late game here on the East Coast, they're literally playing the game that late. It's really going to be weird for these guys to have to adjust. Right, exactly. They're going to be in the wide world of sports playing at 10.30 at night. 
And the difference for soccer and basketball, obviously, is one's outside and one's inside. Like, this 9 a.m., they're talking about how the sun in Orlando and the way that the stadium set up. Like, normally when they set up the soccer stadium, they have the sun in play on where exactly the goals are. It's not always that way with some of these fields. So, the one goalie's got the sun in his face. He's bl- he can't even see. Like, it's a big part of this. It's interesting how they... How they have to go through things that they're not used to going through, and it's so subtle, too. It's not the obvious stuff that we would think about. I want to go back to that Kendrick Perkins thing real fast. Okay. This is a direct quote from Jason Tatum. There's a multitude of reasons why I wasn't comfortable. I'm still not excited about it, not thrilled. And yet Perkins called him out by name like, you don't hear him complaining about going. Well, I wonder if this has anything to do with it. He mentioned who? He mentioned... LeBron James, he mentioned Kawhi Leonard. Did he mention Giannis? I think he mentioned Giannis in there as well. He did. And he mentioned Joel Embiid. Is he putting Joel Embiid in the category of those type of dominant players and not mentioning Jason Tatum because he doesn't look at Jason Tatum the same way he looks at those four players? Or does it not fit his narrative so he's not bringing his name no, up No, he at did all? mention Tatum. Oh, oh, he did actually mention he Tatum. He mentioned Tatum. I mean, I can play it back. Um, let me see if I can find where he started mentioning the names of the players. Definitely complaining. He's saying tech ball. I don't hear LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard complaining. I don't hear Jason Tatum and Giannis complaining. Well, then he's just flat out wrong. He's just flat out wrong. I didn't even hear him say Tatum's name in there. I just thought he left Tatum out completely. No, I, I, I see McCormick, uh, Kevin McCormick, who covers the Sixers for our website. He actually, uh, the undefeated put the video out, and then McCormick quote tweeted and said Joel Embiid said he did not agree with the return plan at first, and in the same breath said he wasn't going to let the city of Philadelphia down. Where is he complaining? To which I was going to say, not to mention. He mentions Tatum by name, and Tatum said that he he had concerns. Well, then he clearly did not do his research. Before. I'm surprised that that – I wonder if in that, that video feed on Twitter, that post is just drilled with Jason Tatum quotes going back at Kendrick Perkins because you know how toxic Twitter can be when someone messes up. People like to pounce on you and, and pound you. And quite frankly, I don't know what what it matters if, if he says, look, I don't feel comfortable. It's not an excuse. He's just saying, I, I, I don't like this idea, but I'm going. Right. He didn't say, I don't like the idea and I'm not playing. He said, I don't like the idea and I'm not – and but I'm going. I need to go for my to for the fans in the city. There should be no controversy for someone saying that they feel uncomfortable. Not at all. Not at all. If you don't feel comfortable, okay. You are allowed to feel uncomfortable during a pandemic when you have to leave your entire family, live in a bubble, and get tested however many times a week. I mean, it's just so obvious that you should never question someone for feeling unsafe during a time like now. So, to me, it's just ridiculous that that was even brought up. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, it it, it seems. And, look, I hope, you know, we talked about, oh, he needed Charles Barkley and Shaq to get him motivated. Now, that's the kind of thing that you could say, hopefully he hears something like that attacking him, and that gets you like, you know what, dude? You're calling me out because I said I was concerned about going in a bubble because of a coronavirus pandemic that happens to be going on, if you haven't noticed, sorry that I have some education in my mind of the fact that being around a lot of people might not be the safest thing to do. But I'm going anyway. And you know what I'm going to do about it? 
You wait and see. Like, I hope it motivates him to that level. I hope it does, too. But history shows with Joel Embiid, if it does motivate him, it will only be for a limited amount of time, right? So, like, the same thing that happened with the TNT crew. He gets destroyed by them a bit. They come after him. He dominates for a few games, and then he goes back to normal. Like, if he does get motivated from this, I just don't know if it's a long-term thing or just the first five games of the regular season that comes back. Um, That's always the question with Embiid, isn't it? Is yeah. it a long-term thing? You know, I don't know. I, I think Embiid, I think Embiid, and we talked about this a couple times, both him and Ben Simmons, that they are coming back different versions of themselves, you would think. I would hope so. Well, the thing is with these two players, I find this very unique. It could be scary. It could be just part of their youth, which me and you always talk about, that they are going to need more time to grow. But with Joel Embiid, it takes people in his ear for him to dominate, and it's a limited amount of dominate, but he dominates once the TNT crew gets in his ear. With Ben Simmons, once well, the fans get... dominated more times well, no, I, than just that time, I, I <laughs> you know, know what but, I mean? But that's, but that's what. But see, that's the problem. You saying that it's like the Chick Fil A thing. It happened once, so now everybody thinks that he's the Chick Fil A guy all the time. He only dominates when Barkley and Shaq get in his ear. No, he dominates seventy percent no, of the that, time. That's he's not the court. my full point. But with I know it's two, not what you're. Yeah. I'm saying, but people have it in their mind that he needed to be motivated by somebody else but that's not the case he has dominated on nights when those two guys have not gotten in his ear oh that's fair but I think with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and I relate this to youth those two they they don't have the version that of motivation that MJ had where they can get it themselves they need it from outside more so than they need it from themselves like when Ben gets criticized so much and he's annoyed of the fans getting on him, he has that one explosive game and then gives the finger essentially to the fans. Like, I told you I can do this. And that's how he shows it. He bottles up all that emotion and then he goes out and does it. And I feel like it's similar with Joel Embiid. I relate this to youth. When maybe they get older and, and understand that they can do it without that type of criticism, that's when the Sixers will be in a better spot. Uh, Sports Pass brought to you by Bob McAllister. Call Comfort Now for discounts, rebates, qualifying, cooling, and heating systems. Visit Bob and the Comfort Now team online at iwantcomfortnow.com. We've got the headlines on the way. Plus, don't forget, in an hour, ask Mike and Broad. Send your questions now, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Ask Mike and Broad. Get your questions in. South Jersey's favorite sports show, the Sports Bash with ESPN FM. Uh, some breaking news in the uh, college football world. Now, yesterday, Broads, the Ivy League had announced that there will be no fall sports. They will not be playing sports in the fall. They did not say that football was moving to the spring or that there would be no football. They just said it will not be in the fall. And now we have news on major college football, that being in the Big Ten. It looks like the Big Ten will only have conference games. Now, you can look at this one of two ways. Is this college football now recognizing, uh-oh, we have a problem, although they obviously knew that to begin with, or is this, hey, we thought we weren't going to have college football, but maybe just conference games is a step in the right direction to at least have the sport in the fall? I think it is 
their first step of realizing that it's not going to be what they want it to be. And as we've seen with a lot of things, it's very fluid. I think this is their first step of saying, look, we're just going to stay in the conference. And then that could potentially be changed as well. But I think it's them acknowledging it's not going to be the college football season you thought it was going to be. Oh, I think that they've kind of acknowledged that um, in, in the past because of this can't go unnoticed when speaking about the college sports. They're not professional athletes. It changes the game that these are student athletes, and they're so much more involved when it comes to liability. So from that standpoint, from the legal standpoint, it's not the same as these pro sports coming back. Yeah, yes, because you're dealing with the fact that, although I could say this, I was listening to a podcast last night with... um, Man, who was the guest? Uh, it was Jimmy Trainer's Sports Illustrated Sports Media Podcast. And the guest was the guy, not John Aran, but another guy from the Sports uh, Business Journal. And he asked the question of the five sports, NHL, NBA, NFL, um, and Major League Baseball, and college football, which sport would be affected the most if they didn't have a season? And he said college football. You know, because of how much they rely on ticket sales for their athletic departments, as opposed to these other leagues who have regional sports networks and television deals and all that stuff that they get other monies from. College football, them having people in their building is the majority of their income. Correct me if I'm wrong, the college football playoff itself is what creates, you know, a really big portion of their income. Am I correct when I say that? Yeah, or? like if you, well, and I don't know the real, the the new deal all uh, as well as the old deal, the old BCS system. Like if your school, like I know for West Virginia, they made the BCS game like two or three times. Each time you made a BCS game, your school would get about $20 million. That's why I haven't been to West Virginia since I left. However... There's new buildings all over the place. I wouldn't recognize the damn place because they got $20 million every single time they went to a bowl game, and they got buildings all over the place. So, yeah, the the, the finances of making, that's why they have so many bowls. Hey, you made it to the bowl game. Here's $10 bucks for making this bowl game. Yeah, the way it works is that if, you, if your conference makes a certain number of the big bowl games, then that money is redistributed. Whereas if you make a smaller bowl game, only your school is going to get that bowl money. So, for example, if there's a bunch of Big 12 teams that make the Big 6. There's more money distributed from some of that. Well, now, the primary school that makes it gets the majority of the money, but there's still a trickle-down effect for the rest of the conference. So there is an incentivization for the schools to make as many bowl games as possible because there's more of a trickle-down effect for the lesser schools, like for example in the SEC, Vanderbilt football is a bunch of garbage, but they get a trickle-down effect because Alabama, Auburn, Georgia make all these extra bowl right, Which games. is why Rutgers wanted to go to the Big Ten. Correct. Not that they thought they could compete, it's because they can bring in more money. And people were like, you can't compete in that conference. Oh, who cares? We're getting more money. And the Big Ten wanted Rutgers because they wanted to use Rutgers in Maryland to get the Big Ten network into the New York and D.C. TV markets. So it was, I win, you win, we all make money. 
That's interesting. I, I do know that there's like a debate going on with Rowan University where I went to. It's like, do they go D1? Do they look forward to maybe making that transition down the road? And there's a lot involved. I mean, would you rather be a really solid, good D3 team? Or do you make the jump and maybe be like Rutgers where you're in a D1 in a D1 schedule, but you don't really succeed that much? It's interesting. I can't see, though, Rowan going from D3 into a major conference. Like, I would see them going, if they went D1, it would be in a much, much smaller D1. Like, oh, absolutely. Like FCS, for example. Oh, maybe. yeah, maybe absolutely. Go, like, they, like, I could see them maybe being in the same world as, like, a Villanova, for sure. example. We can get a Brian Westbrook. Right, like, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, but that's not Division One. Right, that's, that's FCS. Right. Well, I, I just know that it is a conversation, though, of making that next jump. It would just be interesting. Uh, there's so many bowl games, though, going back to the bowl games. It's yeah, uh, Do you other... guys get the juice of watching some of those lower-end bowl games at times? It's all for money. I know it is, they but make, uh, from your personal standpoint. They make the network, standpoint. ESPN, a ton of money um, because there's nothing on in the middle of December, in the middle of the weekday, but here's a bowl game. No, get I get why ratings. they do it, but like, no, if it's a I White Sox, White no. Shoes bowl game, are you watching that? No. You're out on that. I mean, I'm working a lot of times when they're on. I might throw it on a Saturday if there's a game on. But, no, I'm not juiced up by a lot of the bowls. College football fans, though, the ones that love college football more than the NFL, they love all those Well, the whole tradition of college football, this whole thing, that's this this headline that we got into, it's the Big Ten is going to scrap their non-conference schedule. Well, part of college football, which is, you know, that whole, well, our conference against your conference. That's going to be taken out by this whole thing if it's just Big Ten games. Now, keep in mind, the uniqueness about college football is that all these conferences act uniquely to themselves. So just because the Big Ten is saying, we're going to play a conference-only schedule, the SEC doesn't have to agree with them, and they might now be able to fortify their resumes by playing non-conference games that the Big Ten might not do. Let me ask you this, because I know this is a big debate in the Big Ten world. Do you think the Big Ten is better than the SEC? Josh, I want your opinion as well. Um, I think the SEC is the best conference for college football. Well, you're not going out on a limb there. No, I know, but the Big <laughs> Ten, there is a huge Big Ten support, like the supporting cast of the Big Ten. They really do believe that they are better than the SEC, and I just don't see that at all. I think the SEC is, okay, I am one that thinks the ACC basketball is highly overrated, okay? I wouldn't say that the SEC is on the same level as the ACC as being overrated. Here's the thing. I think the SEC is still living off of its reputation that it had when Florida was a national championship contender, Alabama a national championship contender, like year after year after year. They had Tennessee was a national championship contender. They had multiple teams that were constantly national. Those teams are no longer national championship contenders. Is it more difficult week in and week out and is there more talent probably but they don't have the high level teams that they used to have that are national champion contenders the problem is college football like a lot of things watered down not as deep as it used to be so now, like, a Kentucky is actually decent where they used to be a laughing stock. But isn't that good, though, maybe? that I'm not going to say it's good that it's watered down, but it does seem like there's there's more competition elsewhere, which might actually make the product of college football good. Yeah, but that goes to that the SEC is not as dominant national champion contenderish as it used to be, yet still the best. I okay. think it's better than the That's a good way to put Big it, though. Ten. I think the Big Ten is very top-heavy. The bottom of the Big Ten's terror. I mean, Indiana, Rutgers, Maryland— 
Uh, Illinois is awful. Northwestern's typically not very good. I mean, more teams. You got your Wisconsin. You got your Penn State. You got your Ohio State. They're the they're the the breadwinners. But I would say Ohio State's really the only national championship level. Penn State's close, and Wisconsin's high. Michigan, but national, yeah. yeah, but national championship. Yeah, I don't no, know if right. they touch those. The, the problem with the Big Ten is that the people who think the Big Ten is better than other conferences are going off the history. They're not going off the present. The problem with the Big Ten, like Mike said, is they're top heavy. So the problem is, is that unless you are Ohio State. The majority of the time, nobody cares about you. Like, there was a few years ago, Penn State won the conference. But nobody invited them to the dance of the national championship because nobody respected them. Michigan State, a few years ago, got their butt kicked by TCU in a, in a uh, bowl game. So, you have a problem with the Big Ten that, historically, they have this huge, rich history, but they don't have a lot of talent today. The SEC has the most college football talent in the country. They might not always have the best teams, but they always have the greatest depth of talent. And the problem is the SEC tries to say, well, we have Alabama. That's really it. You don't really have this great depth of national champions. Whereas you look at the other conferences around the country, the Big 12 has talent too. The Pac-12 has talent too. The problem is, of that talent, who gets the most recognition? And the SEC gets credited as the better conference because they have the most amount of talent. It doesn't mean they're the best conference. They just have the most depth of talent. To me, every year it changes who actually is the best conference. Like I can make an argument that last year the SEC didn't have the best conference, had the Pac-12 the best conference, but the SEC got the most kids drafted. Ooh, the Pac-12 is the best conference? I don't agree with I'm that I'm so at all. out on Pac-12. So Pac-12 out Pac-12 last year I thought was awful. Well, I- Last year, Pac-12 had a better bowl schedule. They had the most bowl wins last year compared to the that's SEC right. that's in different. the Big Ten. Well, that's a, that's a lot of the These measuring These are some stick. of the canceled well, the, games, by the way. Ohio ahead. State, Oregon. That Michigan, Washington. Penn State, Virginia Tech. Iowa, Iowa State, which is a huge, a rivalry, huge rivalry game, game in, that, in that state. Uh, Miami, Michigan State. Wisconsin, Notre Dame. They were some of the games that got knocked off because of uh, the Big Ten Basically, his announcement today. Notre Dame, what are they going to do? Well, I was going to say, Mike, you mentioned the fact that, the, you know, people's resumes. Well, what if Notre Dame now, to make up the fill the voids in their schedule, they start calling the SEC schools and say, well, if you guys want some out-of-conference competition, call me. Well, the SEC hasn't canceled their out-of-conference games. They right. The problem so is— their schedules haven't been affected. If other, you would call the teams that got knocked off this. Like, you would call Oregon. You would call Washington. You would call uh, Miami. You would call Virginia Tech and say, hey, you lost a game. Are you looking for a game? We'll pick it up. Right. The problem is if other conferences start to follow and say, hey, we're all just yes. going to do conference games. And by the games. way, they're going to start to follow. Oh, I know that. So what's Notre Dame going to do? I find it hard to believe that there's going to be— some schools, if they had the opportunity to play Notre Dame, don't you think some of these schools would pounce on that? Well, there there are other independents. I mean, they can play Navy. They can play, I guess, BYU is an independent. Yeah. BYU still an independent? Or are they, are they in that Midwest conference? They bounce back and forth they, a couple of They're times. ambiguous. They kind of bounce in and out of conferences all the time. Like the, but there's I, like five or six, you know, yeah. um, independents. I mean, most of the... No, I don't want to say the Air Force Academy is in the Mountain West. Right. I think Army is in the Conference USA. So really, a lot of the independents now coming off the top of my head are kind of dried up a bit. 
Yeah, I, I think I have the list here. I'll get it in a second. Notre Dame's only hope is to hope that one are. of these conferences. Liberty, actually... BYU, Army, Notre Dame, New Mexico State, and UMass. They are the independents. Well, UMass is a is a just a total garbage. Yeah, program. so but that's one, two, three, four, five games that they could potentially get there. But, I don't think they would love that schedule. No. By the way, Notre Dame also has an affiliation with the ACC. They're not part of their football conference, but they're part of the conference for other sports. So they do get a preferential schedule treatment from the SC, the ACC schools. I think they're in Hockey East, unless they moved out of Hockey East, too. Really weird that they would ever be in that conference, but that might have moved on anyway. You would know more about that than me. Now, yeah. the Irish, uh, Fighting Irish I, uh, athletic director said the on-time start to the season is now less likely. That uh, is really the headline story to college football. And then the Big Ten will be a conference-only schedule. That came out. The Ivy League said yesterday they will not play football this fall. And I think, really, it's going to come down to, look, there are campuses that are not having on-campus education. You're taking classes from home at some of these places. And if you don't, like USC, I don't think they're having kids come back to campus. Right, you don't have virtual. kids on the campus. It's kind of hard to tell the football players they need to be there. Yeah, I don't think that we see college football this year. I really don't. That is a sport where I do not feel comfortable saying that we will see it. I think we're going to see hockey. I think we're going to see basketball. I even think we're going to see baseball. When it comes to college football, I really can't sit here and think, you know what, we're going to have a season. No, and Ohio State had all sorts of COVID problems. They had to pause their camp workouts. They had people back getting ready for the fall sports. They had to shut that down. Um, there's a lot of schools, Clemson, LSU, that all had a lot of positive tests. And look, college campuses would be getting back here in about a month, typically. You know, some of them are like early August, mid-August, you know, that you start to get back. I agree with you. I am not confident at all that we are going to see college football. I saw something that Harvard is is not going to have people in their actual classrooms, but charging the same yes. amount of money. $48,000. Now, is that fair? No, I think that's a travesty. That's ridiculous. Hard. Garbage. Yeah, I don't understand how people are going to continue. I mean, look, if you want that Harvard degree, I guess you're kind of doing whatever. But I feel terrible for these college kids right now. I mean, I would almost, if if I was that age, you would almost ask them to pause your matriculation. But the problem is then you're kind of pausing your life in terms of getting that job and things like that, right? I got news for you. There's not too many I, jobs available for you right that's now. That's very, but very I'm true. I'm just saying, like, you are losing out on, forget the academic part of it. There's a lot of growing up that happens going away to a college campus that you are missing out on as part of your college experience. It's not just taking classes. It's learning how to live. It's learning how to live on your own. It's learning how to make mistakes. It's learning how to do things, not living at your house. Absolutely. That is unfortunate for so many. I, I, I don't, I feel terrible for those, uh, for those college kids, but this big 10 thing, I think this is going to be the first domino of, like you said earlier, they're playing a conference only schedule. I think that's just the first ripping of the Band-Aid, and then I think the next announcement will be there's no games. I don't think we're going to see college football games. Guys, I'm willing to predict that you don't see any fall sports from any colleges. Yeah. I, I think the Ivy League is setting the precedent. I think eventually they're all just going to have to admit that this is not doable and either just void this college football season or you know just admit that 
if you're if you're gonna play any games, it's not gonna be on time, and you're pushing it back to November and December if you want to salvage it. I have a question about Notre Dame though, because I did some research. I knew Notre Dame was in the Hockey East, but they did move over to the Big Ten, and this is for college hockey. But in terms of independent for football, is that all just revenue based on why they are independent? Like for what Notre is, Dame, it is okay yeah. is, because is, of their TV contract okay. for football. I didn't right, know if there they was ever going to be a time. TV deal as opposed to sharing a deal with a conference. Right, and they make more money off of their individual deal than the revenue share would be for a conference. Now, why don't you see maybe other teams going independent if they can see a way to make more money? Because the money's not there for them. They don't have the marquee that Notre Dame has. A lot of these schools have very favorable deals because of their situation. Like, for example, Texas has their own Longhorn Network, for example, but they also are able to double dip because they're in the Big 12 Conference. So there's more value to them to stay in the conference than to stay with the Longhorn Network. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I just I knew that they made a lot of money being independent, and I wondered if maybe there's some other college football teams that are like, whoa, hold on a second. Maybe there's a way to create more Keep revenue. They've been on NBC forever. Yeah, long There's time. only so yeah. many networks out there that would be able to even come up with the idea to say, hey, we'll do this for you. They're also kind true. of grandfathered in a little bit. You know, a lot of the modern TV deals, they, they factor in volume over just one school. That's true. I want to get your opinion on this for our second headline here. Wrigley Field, did you see this? They are approving for 25% capacity, and you can sit up top for $350 to sit on the rooftop of Wrigley Field. 350 bucks. Where at? Uh, seats for Wrigley rooftops. 350 oh, bucks across the street. 350 bucks. Well, that's about what they. Co- I wonder what they cost normally. Wow. They have those rooftop seats that are on the apartment buildings across the street. I would be shocked if they go for three fifty normally, but maybe they do. Oh, I think, yeah. I think they're probably, because that's like a unique, uh, you're not in the stadium. Right, you're it is across, across the, the street. street. Yeah. And you're like, I think that's one of those like, hey, I got rooftop seats. I just thought, because, and this is interesting, because I was asking Mosher and Adam Kaplan this when it comes to the NFL, because it's limited in in seats, if they do a certain amount of capacity, will those tickets be a lot of money, or will it be less money because less people want to go? And I kind of relate that to this: Is it three fifty because it's that expensive and people are going to want to go and it's limited? Is that the way that they look at this three fifty dollars? I'm not paying three fifty to sit in those seats. No, but I think a lot of people will. I think that I'm pretty sure those seats are pretty expensive to begin with. They might not be three fifty. But I think those seats are pretty expensive to begin with. I don't know, look, uh, I don't know how you would look that, but I'm sure you can find it. Yeah, like I'm picturing Eagles tickets, right? That's I like can a get a set of Eagles though. tickets up top for 350 Yeah, but this is a different, like, you're saying sitting up top in, like, the... The link. Yeah, this isn't, you're not in the stadium. This is a different, a unique experience. That's what, it's like, a, you know, it's like, hey, I'm in Chicago, and I get to sit on the this guy's roof. Like, it's like a, it's like a experience type of thing more so than, hey, these are great seats. But 350 yeah, I'm not paying. 